1: Hello and welcome to another episode of QUB LawPod. My name is Peter Lockhart and I'm a member of the student focus and careers team here at LawPod. Today we are talking all about referencing, which is something that has attracted a lot of attention among students because it is something that we find we lose a lot of marks for in essays. And to join me to talk about it today is Dr. Deborah Wilson. Deborah is the subject librarian for the law school, as well as for the School of History, Anthropology, Politics and Philosophy. Deborah welcome.
0: Thank you very much Peter, thank you for inviting me.
1: Not a problem at all. So we're going to get straight into it. The first question is of course, why do we reference?
0: Well that's a really good question. Why we reference really, there are three main reasons. Now the first re- reason is the sternest reason. We, we reference to avoid plagiarism, something that's really frowned upon by the university and by the school of law. Plagiarism is an academic offence and Plagiarism is when you pass off someone else's work as your own. To avoid that you have to cite that, you have to credit the source from which you're citing. But also referencing helps demonstrate your academic credibility and it gives a lot of quality to your work. So you can demonstrate the breadth of your research and you can actually demonstrate how you can integrate the ideas of others into your work. So it's a really useful thing to do and it really does help to raise your marks because you're demonstrating to your tutors that you're able to read widely and integrate others' ideas into your work. The third reason is that By referencing you, you're enabling the reader to find the sources that you have used. So if you're reading something really good and you think, well, I'm gonna follow that up, your reader needs to be able to find the source easily. And this goes to the heart of OSCALA.
1: Excellent, and just with the end of your answer, you have mentioned, of course, the referencing style that we use here in the School of Law, which is the Oxford standard for the citation of legal authorities. So our second question, of course, then is, why is OSCALA in particular useful?
0: Okay, well, Oscola, I have to admit a preference here. I'm a big fan of Oscola. I will, I will interject a little personal note here. My uh, academic background is in history and we used um, Irish historical studies and law students do not know they're alive because Irish historical studies is very old and very un- unedited and non- non-updated. But Oscola is a very useful style. It has clear values and clear instructions. Like any referencing style or citation guide, we use Oscula to standardise presentation of assignments and it follows on from this to help the reader. Your reader needs to be able to find and follow your sources, to follow your argument and check the reliability of your sources. So if you go to um, OSCLA and you can download the fourth edition from the OSCLA site or from my subject guides, in the introduction it's clearly laid out what the values behind OSCLA are and these are key principles. There are two golden rules for the citation of legal authorities within OSCLA. One is consistency and the other is consideration for the reader. Austra also doesn't purport to be comprehensive, but it does give rules and examples for the main UK primary sources and for many types of secondary sources and general principles, and this is key for sources not included, so you can follow these to maintain consistency. The third key point here is that guidelines in OSCOLA are based on common practice in UK legal citation with a minimum of punctuation. So this is everything you need to know about OSCOLA. It's a clean, unfussy citation style. It's reader-centered and that's very important, so it's a footnote style with every care to ensure readers can follow references with ease and there's no mystery to OSCOLA. A writer can devise references not covered in the guidelines by referring to the general principles. and it's clear here that consistency is key.
1: Fantastic. Okay, so then if we get into the uh, more nitty-gritty of it then, what are the most important points around, say, primary and secondary sources with regards to oscula?
0: Okay, well... To use Auscla effectively and in the most pain free way possible, you need to be aware of the source you need to cite. As these, as these will have distinct rules, so cases, statutes, journal, journal articles, and books, you need to know what they are, which sounds really simple, but sometimes that's where students fall down. They find something online and they're not quite sure what it is. Once you've identified clearly what type of source you need to cite, the rest is much easier because, as well as helping the reader, this guide also helps the writer. So for each type of source and even for the types of source not actually listed, guiding principles are outlined to help the writer be clear and consistent. So if we're talking firstly about our key primary sources here, cases and law reports, for a neutral citation you add the case name, the name, court, year and the number. If it's not a neutral citation, you will add the law report and the abbreviation and the first page of your citation. Now my understanding is that if there is a law report, it might be good practice to add this, but whatever you decide, be consistent. So if you're just citing neutral citations when when they are neutral and you're not adding the law report, do that for all your references. If you're going to add the law report, do that for all your references. You need to be consistent. Now, the next primary source I'll talk about is statute law. So you need to cite the name, the number, the year, and the relevant section. Now again, strictly speaking, if you refer to legislation in your text and all the details in your text are there, you don't need to cite the legislation. You may decide to cite it if you're practising off-school. Your tutor might prefer you to cite it if you're practicing law off-school. But again, whatever you decide to do, be consistent. That is really, really important. Now on to secondary sources, journal articles. The information you you need to gather when you're reading a journal article is the article author, the article title, the year, the journal volume, and the journal name, abbreviated or not. Again you can choose either option to cite within your footnotes, not in your bibliography because I think you need to use your abbreviations, but within your footnotes if you want to use the full name be consistent. Or if you want to use your abbreviations, do that for all your journal articles. It's really important you don't do some uh, one way for one journal article and another way for another. I can't emphasise enough how important that consistency is. Books is the final second resource I'll note. And author title edition if there is one publish your year and a pinpoint page is what you need to reference there so in all of these examples of sources oscala will have overriding principles underpinning how full reference full references look so you will also have information on the shortened form and also how to refer readers back to previous notes and when you need to cite so for example if you're using a short form of cases these probably should be the first name of the case, and that would be clear. For legislation, you would let the reader know by including the shortened form that you have chosen in brackets in the first footnote. And that you can see as a reader why that's useful. So you see the first footnote and you go, oh, that's what that's going to look like later on. So remember, clarity, consistency, and the reader is key. For books and journal articles, you would use the name of the author in subsequent citations with a reference to the full footnote. And again, you can see why that's useful. This note to the full footnote is what I would look for if I wanted the full citation. I don't have to read through all the footnotes like other citation styles will make me do. In Oscar I'm referred back to the main source within the footnotes. Right. So at the end of your paper, you would include a table of cases and legislation, along with a bibliography of secondary references. Items in the bibliography would take the same form as all other citations in Oscala, with three main exceptions. The author's surname should precede his or her initial or initials. Only initials should be used and not the forenames. And the titles of unattributed works should be preceded by a double M dash, that's those little dashes. Right. And you clearly must follow those rules in OSCLA. So in OSCLA, the guide has lots of information on how to cite multiple works by the same author and works by multiple authors and so on. So that was the main points of your primary and secondary sources.
1: Fantastic. And so much detail. So it really seems like consistency is king is the message to take home there. So, of course, as it all sounds so easy, as you put it, Deborah, of course, when students do go to reference themselves in their assignments naturally problems crop up. So what are the most common queries that you would get specifically around OSCALA?
0: Okay, another really good question. I've had quite a lot of queries from our first years, and that's really nice because they're obviously engaging very well with OSCALA. The first thing I would say is it's really important to know your source. And I think this underpins a lot of confusion students have, not just with OSCALA, actually with all citation and all reference work. So I think students can be insure of content that they find freely online. And one example that comes to mind is the European Convention on Human Rights. So this can be found Freely online, and we'll find an up-to-date document that is there in its full full form. Now, this was first signed in 1950. It's actually a treaty. So, if you if you find a document like that, read through, and you will get the you get the title page with the new protocols and amendments and so on. But it's a treaty that was signed in 1950 that still stands. So that is actually cited as a treaty. So, along with recent amendments, you, you would you would cite the treaty and note with recent amendments or and or with protocols to make it clear to the reader that you are citing the 1950 treaty but you're aware of the most recent um, edition and as a law student you would be expected to be using the most recent edition anyway so I think students from other disciplines might wonder about that but as a law student you will be using the most up-to-date one okay so it's the 1950 treaty and it must be cited in this way so cite the treaty and note as amended okay Other material found online can be confusing when there's no clear speaker, if it's a podcast or an author, and that could be material found on YouTube that is very useful and so on. So in that case, you would follow the general principles that I've mentioned, la- outlined in other secondary sources. So if there's no clear author, whether it's something that's audio or it's video or it's a, a document, you would cite the organisation providing the source as the author, if you can find it. Again, you're being consistent, you make it really clear, you know about organisations being authors and you're helping the reader find that source, okay? Some other content is cited as print that you will find online. So this is a division between stuff you find on the internet and stuff you might find in the library catalogue. So if you find an e-book and an e-journal, well, you would cite those as you would cite print material. And that is because there is no difference. So when you think about is there a difference in this being online through the library catalogue, no. An e-book, if it has page numbers, you will cite that as a print book. An e-journal will have page numbers. You will cite that the same way you would, find, you would cite a print journal. Okay. And primary sources cited in a secondary source is another one I think people struggle with. That sort of falls within this as well. And people might find second or might find primary sources cited in documents that they find online. With any with any discipline, not just law, you cannot cite that as a primary source. And there's that confusion about sources again. You only cite a primary source if that is the raw material. If that primary source has been edited or included in another document, someone has has filtered that for you. That is a secondary source. Now if you can't find that primary source and I do, I feel the pain sometimes we can't find the actual source, that's okay. You can still cite it but it's a secondary source and you would cite the primary source and say cite it in and then cite your secondary source. You have to be really careful and very clear that you direct your reader to the exact source that you use. So that's the first one. The second quick one is I think there's some really particular examples in OSCOLA that students wonder about, but they do have a reason. I'm thinking about square brackets here. Why are some, some journal articles in square brackets? Why are they in round brackets? And the simple answer is, for some journals, you need the year to find the issue and the, or the volume, and that will be all you have. And so you put it in square brackets to really to, to answer, to show how important it is. When you have a journal article titled volume, issue and year, you don't need the year. You have the volume and the issue as well, so the year in that situation would go in round brackets. So that is why square brackets exist. It's a very useful reason. The third thing, people, students would wonder about abbreviations and cross-referencing because there seem to be um, options. And they don't like options, they want to be told. But there are options because OSCLA is letting you decide what's the best way. So You already mentioned consistency is key here. So I've mentioned journal abbreviations and footnotes. Choose one or the other. Don't do both. Do not do both. Choose one or the other. Keep it either all abbreviated or all full title within your footnotes, whatever works for you, but one or the other. And also cross-referencing. Now, I mentioned the N where you would refer people to a first footnote, and I think that sounds great, right? But you don't have to do that. You could decide a short form for your footnotes, for your journal articles and books and decide to use that and use that consistently and that is fine but be consistent.
1: Wonderful, Um, I have to say I can't help but think back to all the assignments I've handed in and whether or not I've done all the things you've said but amazing detail once again, thank you so much. Um, One last thing then is of course the software available to all Queen students to aid them with referencing is EndNote. So I just wondered, did you have a comment, does OSCLA work with EndNote?
0: Okay, well I have a lot of opinions about OSCLA and EndNote. Oscar does work with EndNote, it isn't perfect, but I don't think that's a bad thing, right? It very clearly doesn't work automatically within EndNote, but I don't think any references style works really perfectly with EndNote anyway. So the first thing before I answer about EndNote, I would say it's really important for students to know their sources and to be all over their assignments, to be really in control of their citations. Students are totally responsible for their citations, even if they're using reference management software. But again, that's not a bad thing, because why would you hand over control to a bit of software to do your assignment that you're being marked on and you're a student, you should be engaging with this whole process. So the relationship between Ausgla and EndNote is not perfect. It's not totally smooth. Some ongoing edits are required and they will always be required. There will always be, you always have to do something, but it will still save you time if you keep that in mind. So the main thing to keep in mind is that the priority is your content and Ausgla. Whenever there's a question about what EndNote can do, you will refer to Ausgla to see what you need to do and then make EndNote do that, right? So EndNote has to work with that, not the other way round. There's a good bit of manual work required when using using EndNote, and like I said, it would save you time. So my advice is to get to know your material, your references, and Oscilla first, and then EndNote should not get in your way. And one example I would always say, with the EndNote courses that I run, is that you will put things like cases, there, there are clear guidelines, within within the style that you download and what to do with cases statutes so there's a wee bit of work but once you do it you've done it once but then you would save a copy of the of the end note document with all your coding save that then save it again as a plain text document that you're going to hand in and do a final edit and the one final edit you will always have to do is in the IBID if you're using those Latin gadgets because IBID even though within EndNote it looks like a small i, it will capitalize that i because it's at the beginning of the sentence. So the only way around that from managing a style point of view would be for me to put a space in, but that wouldn't look right. So all your I bits, if you use them, will have capitalized. So what you do very quickly is create a plain text version and make them into small eyes because you never capitalise the i and then that's good to go. So I, my advice would be, do use EndNote. Please come to my training because I'm very, I'm very opinionated about EndNote. But it would save you time. But it doesn't replace you needing, needing to know Oscala and your sources. And in fact, if you do spend a bit of time getting to know Oscala, the whole relationship with EndNote is much easier anyway. And then you'll you get faster when you're producing those assignments.
1: Well, there we go. I uh, I didn't realise just how much detail we'd get into, but there you go, be careful with capitalising your eyes. Um okay, that concludes this episode of Law Pod. I just want to say a quick thank you to Deborah, that was excellent from start to finish. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you, thanks. I really enjoyed this, thanks for inviting me.
1: Okay, and I hope everyone listening can get something out of that. I know I certainly did. Thank you.